0: Hey everyone, welcome to Flywheel You're number one source for everything FRAX, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on-chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And talk about a very novel way to participate in the flywheel. We're talking about on-chain options. And we had on the GammaSwap team. We had on Daniel and Devin. And you know that was that was a meaty podcast. That was very that was very dense. Um, what I it was so novel. Like what they're building is like on chain options doesn't use oracles. Um, like the design decisions they made, everything like in between, like how they built the product, and now they're in testnet. Um, Kit, what were, what were your thoughts on this episode? I, I am very, very impressed by Daniel and yeah. obviously Devin too.
1: And it's just, you know, it, this is a very complex product and, you know, Daniel comes from a quant background. So I, I feel, let's see, I feel very comfy that mm-hmm. Gavin Swap is in his hand, that he's, he's the one kind of leading the dev side and the technical side. Yeah. And okay. uh, just a, a quick uh, caveat to the listeners, bust out a notepad. This one was yeah. rough, even for me. Yeah, you, you hear me ask like yeah. the same question a couple of times.
0: Yeah, like and don't be afraid or don't feel ashamed if you're like I have no fucking idea what's going on. Because I was like that for like a very solid <laughs> amount of the episode. <laughs> I mean I've like looked into options before because I think it's you know, one of the parts of DeFi that hasn't really reached its full potential. And so it's like, okay, like what it's gonna look like. And I have like my ideas and thesis about it and gamma swap's approach. To building on-chain options and, you know, the whole idea of impermanent gain. Like, who doesn't love that? After, like, a whole year of getting wrecked by IL, why can't we get an I-dub, you know? An I-dub. An I-dub. I like that. Yeah.
1: I like that. Know? I like that. And, and yeah. what's, what's really unique about GammaSwap is they're not just options, right? They are building kind of like this very uh, middleware, this lubricant that's going
0: to make DeFi just run better. Like that's what's exciting. Yeah, and I think this is what's going to attract like more sophisticated traders on chain because if they see like these types of primitives built, they can like you know perform actions A that hedge. they couldn't have on. Yeah, they could he- hedge. They could literally hedge. Like name of the game. Yeah, and if you want to keep up with, with everything that we're talking about here at Flywheel Pod, make sure you hit that bell button right now. Hit it right now. Get all the notifications. Subscribe. Make sure you leave a comment. Let us know how confused you were. Maybe you got everything and understood everything in this episode. Let us know. Hit that like button. We're here every week. We appreciate your support. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FlywheelPod. You know, join our Telegram at FlywheelPod. Hit it, me up on Twitter at DeFiDave22. And you can hit me up at 0X capital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. <laughs> Oh, this is going to wrap around. <laughs> this is going to wrap around. <laughs> <laughs> do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, FraxETH is there for you. FraxETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into FraxETH today. All right, everyone, on this special episode, we get into the Greek letters. We get to the deltas, the alphas, the betas, the sigmas, and of course, the gammas. This time around, we have GammaSwap. We have the co-founders of GammaSwap, Devin and Daniel on. Guys, thanks for coming on. Um, it's really exciting to have you guys on here. I've seen a lot of quality threads, not from thread doors, but from like people actually in DeFi. And like people that are like living on chain, talking about GammaSwap, and I think it's probably one of the most exciting projects I've seen in a while. And I think I've been curious about it, you know, Devin, since we met uh, down at DevCon uh, several months ago. So it's cool to get you guys on. You know, I think this is your guys's first podcast I've seen, and you guys have a lot of pod, you know, a lot to announce coming up. So thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, super excited for this one. Yes, yeah, my
2: pleasure to be here. are happy to
0: yeah, so, so you, know, yeah, uh, you know, just to get this started, can you give a little bit of an intro about like, you know, who you guys are and how you guys started working on GammaSwap? Where did the idea come from and everything?
3: Yeah, I can uh, quickly intro myself and then I'll let Daniel introduce himself and how he came up with GammaSwap. But yeah, um, Devin here, one of the co-founders helping out with growth and operations. So been involved with crypto since 2016 a little bit of the sex arbitrage and the kimchi premium and then yeah after graduating there wasn't much work in crypto unfortunately so mm-hmm. joined some web two companies the first company i worked for was like a a yc company doing SaaS billing management um, then i worked for another company that was helping other SaaS companies manage their software yc and
0: SaaS. what name a more iconic duo
3: <laughs> yeah yeah so i i actually don't have a, a trade five background i have more of the the DeFi DGen background, which I think is good because Daniel's super quantitative and I can kind of go into the UI and be like, nope, it's not Degen <laughs> enough. Um, but yeah, uh, so basically worked at those two and then just felt like crypto was really taking off. And so kind of went full time. I was working on a couple of projects, um, doing some trading. And then most recently, um, I was at, a, a proof of stake infrastructure provider, um, Figment. I was helping out, um, with some of the partnerships and uh, developer relations as well. I was helping uh, judge a hackathon in Miami actually, uh, activate X wormhole, this was May. So I met the GammaSwap guys, really impressed with what what they were doing. Uh, I I used to LP a little bit and kind of stopped. I would only do it on like new chains or completely new pools uh, just because impermanent loss had become such an issue. So uh, at first I wanted to join on as an advisor and then as I met the team and saw the long-term vision, uh, decided to kind of come on full-time. So uh, that's my story.
2: Uh, yeah, so um, I used to be an equity trader in a, at a bank in New York. That was within uh, years ago already. Um, so uh, then I moved to another bank where I worked in the algorithmic trading team. And um, that was until 2016. Although I have been involved in crypto since 2013, that's when I first started uh, buying Bitcoin, mining Bitcoin or other uh, cryptocurrencies. And in 2016, uh, I left the bank. Uh, the banks are getting strict with um, uh, our trading on the side of cryptocurrencies. So um, yeah, so I, I didn't want to have to uh, always be reporting my trades to the bank uh, that it was too intrusive. So, so I left the bank and started running my own strategies. And uh, I did that from 2016. Uh, well, pretty much until I moved to Florida. That was when I lived in New York. So um, in 2020, I was uh, providing liquidity in uh, Uniswap. And, and uh, well, well, I had longs in uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin, which uh, I didn't want to sell uh, at the time. And uh, and there was this new contract, Uniswap V2, and that was, uh, was paying high yields, like 100,000% APY. So so I was doing that for a while, um, but then by the end of the year, uh, they weren't that profitable anymore. A lot of the opportunities were gone. So I wanted to take the opposite side of the trade. Um, well, uh, just to back up a little bit, I first did some analysis on the main unit uh, V2 uh, pools, like ETH and USDC, to see uh, what was the expected return on those pools. And I came to the conclusion that it was negative. So if it's negative, then if I take the other side of that trade, it will be positive. So that's what got me into trying to figure this out. Into uh, how, to, um, uh, how to how how to build um, uh, a platform where I can short uh, liquidity inside uh, a Uniswap V2 pair pool. So um, yeah. So then uh, I mean the rest is history. That uh, you know, where we are now.
0: It's So you basically were LPing in Uniswap V2. You realized it was an unprofitable endeavor, and you simply thought of. What if I just flipped it? What would the opposite be of LPing and Uniswap V2? What would be the opposite in LPing and Uniswap V3? And that's really how GammaSwap came about. Right. Okay. Cool. And so, can you explain for people that aren't familiar, like, what is GammaSwap? Can you, in like, you're explain like, in, in a explain it like I'm five fashion, like, what, what oh, is Gamma? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: Oh, all right. Uh, I guess um, if you don't know anything about Uniswap or uh, providing liquidity anything like that. Uh, you can, uh, think of it as a way to, uh, make money when the price of crypto is moving around a lot. So if, if crypto moves around a lot, you're making money. If it's not moving around a lot, you're not making money. And that's what a gamma swap enables you to do. So if you know what a Uniswap swap v2 is, then, uh, uh, the, you're probably familiar with the concept of impermanent loss. So then in that case, uh, you can think of unit of GammaSwap as a way to turn impermanent loss into impermanent gain. So when the price changes, mm-hmm. you make money. And instead of uh, you getting paid fees, you pay the fees. So, yeah. So that's, I think, the simplest explanation I can come up with.
0: Yeah. And in terms of the whole philosophy around impermanent loss, um, you know, our producer Sam wrote an article saying that, you know, pretty much questioned the philosophy of impermanent loss. Like, is impermanent loss real? Is it a real thing? Or is it just like a way to perceive like market movements as an LP? Is there another, another way to view LPing other than impairment loss? And like from that view, is that how you build swap? Um,
2: no, no, so, all right. So the people that, um, that say that impairment loss is not real is because uh, they see that uh, if the price comes back to where it originally was, then there is no loss. So like there's divergence only, I mean, this loss only happens when there is divergence, when the price returns to where it was initially, there is no loss. So then, there was this other uh, concept that's been around also called um, the uh, loss versus rebalancing, uh, which uh, is is taken as a running cost of of, uh, of providing liquidity in, uh, in something like Uniswap. So, but but the thing is that um, and loss versus rebalancing is measuring the same thing. Every risky asset has a drift just because it's an interest rate, the time value of money. So everything that's risky is going to have a risky component and a risk-free component. That risk-free mm-hmm. component is based on time. So, and that risk-free component is the source of drift. Even if your risky asset doesn't have any positive returns, say it has negative returns, it's still that risk-free component is still there because you're lacking up capital, that's not being used. It's gonna be, uh, you're gonna get it in the future. So that's still there. And for that reason, re- regardless of whatever uh, you think, if infernal loss is real or not, Time is gonna pass, and
0: the drift is gonna affect your risky assets. Um, hold Impressing up, what's what's uh, what's drift exactly for? What's the oh, definition oh, drift,
2: of drift? Um, so drift is um, just that um the the acid is just uh, moving in one direction over time. Just mm-hmm. um, in the um, the geometric um, Brownian motion formula. So the, like every acid is measured having a drift, which is actually a I mean it's a, it's a fairly accurate description. Because there's such a thing as the interest rate that accumulates on any capital that's being lacked, locked up over a period of time. So, mm-hmm. so what I'm saying is that um, if you provide liquidity, so you're locking up your capital in a pool over time, the price is going to change uh, because it's going to drift, regardless, mm-hmm. because there's an interest rate on on everything. There's no free lunch. So you're going you're going to experience impermanent loss.
0: Yeah, there's no free lunch, uh, yeah, and in that regard, um, who's actually making money? Uh, LPing on Uniswap, like we saw, you know, studies that came out with Uniswap V3, uh, LPs, the majority of them are quite unprofitable. It seems like Uniswap V3 is basically unprofitable to the max compared to Uniswap V2 because of the ranges. Like people, like since it's range bound, people get in permanent loss so much faster. So, like, is anybody making money with Uniswap V3? Is that is that a thing? Well, if I, mean, I could I, touch I on them okay Do you want let, me, to touch on that let me just
3: touch on the last part no yeah. i want to touch on the last part actually about permanent loss i mm-hmm. mean uh daniel's the quant here and i'm kind of the more marketing growth guy but i mm-hmm. think it was the most genius marketing play by uniswap to call like an actual loss impermanent. i mean like if you're selling volatility in like a normal options market and then it mm-hmm. returns to the price that you like bought the asset at yeah it's impermanent i guess there's expiries which change that but it's just way to reframe it to make it seem kind of like this less risky investment. Because oh, all the losses are impermanent. The price could always go back to what it was. But yeah. I mean that's we could, that's we true can come for back. any position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's true. You could you could buy Solana at two fifty and then I guess your loss is impermanent if it goes back to two fifty. But like what does that mean? <laughs>
0: It means a lot of heartache and headache. <laughs> That's what it means to get there. <laughs> I, I
1: never thought about it like that. Yeah, they just rebranded paper loss into impermanence loss. <laughs> and then you yeah. never close the trade. You never yeah. really realize it.
0: <laughs> if you don't close, exactly. you don't lose. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
3: I think what Uniswap built was genius. But I think the way they marketed it was just as genius, if not more genius.
0: Yeah, which is... You know more than half the battle is getting the narrative and messaging right about your product which leads me to actually just a question i thought of now like how's gamma going about marketing uh gamma swap to DeFi dgens and everyone alike
1: oh I, actually b- before we jump into that could we cover the who is actually making money on the uniswap lp first so a high
3: level yeah and then we'll yeah, dive yeah. Into okay GammaSwap. let's do that
0: let's do that no i'll oh, cover yeah. the marketing
3: okay. after jenny oh. answers
2: yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, um, prior to Uniswap v3, uh, there was Uniswap uh, v2, was the uh, more popular platform. So, uh, back then, uh, there were liquidity mining contracts where you could provide liquidity in these pools, even if the risk was high, just the fact that it could be so much made it worth it. Then uh, those contracts uh, disappeared. Uh, there weren't that were many contracts that were providing uh, those types of returns through liquidity mining. So if you had an arrangement with a uh, some uh, other uh, some protocol that's paying you enough to provide liquidity, then I made they worthwhile. Then came out Uniswap 3 with the uh, with the ranges, and um, and yeah, right. So if it moves out, you're not even earning anything, and you're just experiencing the loss on it. Um, but uh, but so so then, but because Uniswap 3 allows you to leverage the liquidity that you provide into it, the tighter that you make the range, then uh, it became optimal to. Um, to make the most, to make it the most profitable to provide liquidity in just one single range. Since yeah. all your liquidity is going to change into the other token when the price changes. So the value rate is not really changing that much and you're you're maximizing your your liquidity in the pool to the point that you're going to get as much fees as possible. So, and then you just have to hedge your position on the other side through a centralized exchange or, or some other place. However, you can get a short on uh, the position that you've taken. So I think, I think that was a very profitable strategy actually in the first half of 2021, because you could see it on the, on the fees. Like uh, those fees were huge because people were making money. Like uh, everyone's competing for, for those, uh, for, for those uh, trades. So, um, But um, yeah, if you, if you, but it requires you to be an expert in doing this type of work. So you have to know how mm-hmm. to program, you have to uh, have also the infrastructure for it, enough capital to deploy. So it wasn't no longer uh, retail mm-hmm. play anymore mm-hmm. at that point. Okay. so yeah. and you, that's actually yeah, I, mean? I got me building, um, uh building uh, because um, I, I felt like, well, I mean, this is like defining the purpose of it. You, uh, like, um, blockchain is supposed to be for retail mainly, okay. and now it's becoming an institutional product that's only uh, professionals can use.
3: Yeah, maybe Daniel, it'd be helpful to explain a little bit about like what what JIT actually is and how. Yeah, it's a little bit more profitable than I guess. Um, passively providing liquidity in um, in V3.
2: All right. Uh, yeah, so uh, what I was referring to, uh, they call it just-in-time liquidity. So when someone makes a trade, um, say, uh, um, whatever whatever trade they're making, is going to Uniswap V3, you can maximize your the liquidity that you're providing if you just provided it one single tick. So, say um, you provide uh, only $100 worth of liquidity, but uh, because you put it into one tick, it's like providing $10,000 worth of liquidity. So then, uh, because you're providing about $10,000 worth of liquidity, you get uh, fees as if you were providing $10,000 worth of liquidity. So you're a bigger percentage of, uh, of the pooling in that tick that you provide liquidity at. So you get most of the revenue there. And if um, at the end after the trade happens, if the price didn't change much. You still have the same amount of money, but in terms of the other token now. And um, and yeah, so you can just hedge that position on a centralized exchange until you revert your position to the other other currency that you want to hold. And uh, yeah, so that's how you uh, can uh, maximize your returns in Uniswap v 3 but the problem is that when you have to compete against other people trying to do the same thing, and the network fees end up going up. So there's this relationship actually between the network fees and the transactions that are happening in Uniswap v3. This also used to happen in Uniswap v2 when liquidity mining was very profitable. Like in the beginning, like uh, middle of 2020, it was very easy. I mean, just provide liquidity, you're making money. But then by, by the end of the year, it was already, uh, yeah, it was getting pretty tight. That even if you were providing liquidity, mm-hmm. just uh, it wasn't worth it unless you're doing it with like 60 years or something like that because of the mm-hmm. transaction fees.
1: Right. And, and not to mention, every single time somebody Jumps in with the uh, JIT liquidity, it actually hurts all the other super passive LPers who don't do this, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. actually an, another stakeholder that's actually massively impacted. And even though the, the JIT LPers compete against each other f- just for that, you know, single trade there, that one range, folks who have been LPing in this pool forever and a day took that, like, you know, their return have been reduced by these JIT LPers.
2: Right. Yeah. So, so that's why um, Uniswap 3 has become more of an institutional tool. So that's why, uh, that, that's what got me to building GammaSwap because I thought, uh, um, I mean, Uniswap 2, I thought was awesome that uh, you could passively provide liquidity and make money. It's like a type of ETF that, uh, it's, well, it's essentially making money and shorting volatility, which is the same thing you do when you're market making, since you're, you're buying mm-hmm. more as the price is moving and you're betting that it's going to reverse the original price. So yeah, I agree
0: with you. All right. I have one more question before we go to the marketing question I had. Um, Daniel, do you think JIT is a real problem? Because in his talk at uh, ECC this year, Dan Robinson made the argument that it actually isn't as big of a of a problem as people make it out to be. That it's actually like a very very small percentage of all trades on Uniswap. A very small percentage of like LP like trades made against the LP are actually like JIT. Like, do you think JIT is a real problem?
2: I think JIT is a problem if you're a, a passive uh, liquidity provider. I mean, the, the, the fact that he's saying that it's not a problem uh, because it's only a small percentage of trades, but it depends also. Uh, is, uh, is that small percentage of trades the, the trades that actually count or the trades that don't really matter because true. they're so small that they're going to pay mm-hmm. a very small amount of trades? So, yeah. Yeah, so, so, that's not a, so I don't think what he was saying is, is true, that it's not really a problem.
0: Yes, it is a problem. I think it's if for traders it's great. For traders, it's actually like beneficial to them because yeah, they're super. getting a better price on their trades. But you know, for like the little bit of the time where like the JIT happens, like for a passive LP or that's in it for a while, it becomes a problem eventually. But there's like finer nuances to that argument here and there. But um, yeah, onto the uh, the marketing question, Devin. What is your plan to get, get to get the message and narrative of gamma swap out there? I see the uh, Impermanent Gains uh, chat artwork going on, big fan of that. Um, so what else is, do you have in store and what are you trying to do with your message?
3: Yeah, it's a, it, I think uh, it's a good question because I think especially uh, if you dive into like the math of, I mean, I think it's like the same thing with AMMs, right? Like AMMs are extremely complex products and they're marketed to, to be these passive things, which I don't think the current, product scheme is really going towards, mm-hmm. we, our, our hope, like we don't think Uni V3 is necessarily a bad product. We don't also don't think it's necessarily a retail product. We think it's a great product for projects that are trying to market, make like everything's super capital efficient for them. We're probably going to market, make an issue with V3 for that reason. Uh, you know, we think it's great for institutions because they can trade like a little bit more like a club, but if you're a passive LP, it, it's hard to be profitable. Especially if you can't hedge like your position, so we're hoping that we're we can build a way for retail LPs to still to be passive and still expect to be profitable on average. The reason I think we can do that is because right now AMMs are a one-sided marketplace for volatility, and so you know a lot of people use like the yield of an AMM to measure the profitability, but that's kind of wrong. Like you should actually be looking. Uh, According to the Black Scholes model, at like the actual volatility. And that's when that came out in the 70s, people started being able to price options and derivatives volume skyrocketed. And so I think, you know, um, if you actually look at implied volatility, there's only one action that's happening. People, as they provide liquidity into pool, they sell and implied volatility goes down, but no one can buy it. But if we enable that other side where people could buy that volatility through like options types of products, then essentially, um, we'll get something that looks more like tradefi. And tradefi implied volatility has overstated historical volatility 83% of the days since 1990. Mm-hmm. So 83% of the days, it's been profitable to sell volatility. And so we're hoping that uh, you know that that will something will look like that, similar to DeFi. Um, and then also we'll also have uh, you know like tokenomics, for example, like especially like new projects. You know they're super volatile, low floats and not that much swap fees yet. And we often see, you know, projects renting liquidity and providing super high tokenomics, which can sometimes hurt the projects like long-term viability. So we think in some ways, like projects are probably going to want to market make on on different Mm -hmm. types of uh, AMMs. But we think, you know, uh, UniV3 is going to look at more like a a dark pool where like institutions are going to trade and pay a fee to trade for better execution and lower slippage. And we're going to be, maybe more like a Robin hood or a commission free exchange where our decks would be fee and, um, retail can still market, make, and expect, you know, not always to be profitable. There's no free lunch, but on average, they, they'll probably come out ahead. Um, so that, that's our hope and the way we're marketing it, I think is, um, you know, the way options have kind of been marketed in TradeFi, uh, really just simplifying the experience allowing people to get what they want right they want to a lot of people want to get leverage on projects they're bullish on or bearish on and so that's something we can do we can now allow people to get leverage by borrowing that um that liquidity out on any token uh in any amm so um i think uh that's kind of just how we're marking as a a new type of options protocol that's oracle free and also lps are going to be better compensated for their risks because in the Services, the borrowing services or the option services we're providing on these other AMMs, so not including our our native AMM, essentially as an LP, uh, besides the smart contract risk, there's no additional risk to LPing on GammaSwap, and the yield should always be equal or higher because essentially, you know, you're making all the swap fees from that underlying AMM, you're still exposed to the permanent loss, but you also get the uh, borrow fees from those longing the volatility on the other side. And you can imagine, you know, if uh, some, for example, like an event like the merge, maybe you don't know where ETH is going to head, but you know, it's going to be volatile and you're an LP and like an ETH USDC pair, even if you're not hedging, um, you're going to get earn more fees from the, all that demand to long volatility since that interest rates dynamic. So you'll at least be a little bit better compensated uh, for that risk that you're taking. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, we kind of in that way, you know, we don't have a full cold start problem, we can kind of connect into these other AMMs and hopefully get some of that liquidity. So that's the biggest thing we've been marketing. And then, yeah, using a lot of the language, as we kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, Uniswap and other AMMs have pioneered like impermanent loss, impermanent gains. uh, And so connecting to that terminology, people know. So even if people don't exactly understand what Gamma is, they'll know that they're long volatility, and they're taking the opposite bet of impermanent loss, which um, I think uh, is pretty much essentially what being long gamma is.
0: Okay. <clears throat> Hearing things like Oracle Free and hedging risk is music to my ears. Like, really, yeah. like, that's what DeFi needs.
1: Yeah, but um, I think it's time for us to take off the training wheels, and let's go deep into this, because, you know, options are one of my favorite products. Um, I, I used to trade... Uh, equity options and, and, and ETF options um, back in the day. So can you walk me through what a user journey looks like from just a passive LPR and then on the other side, someone who's looking to long volatility as well?
2: Um. All right, I'll take that call. Uh, I mean, I think that question first. All right, so if you're providing liquidity in uh, GammaSwap, the experience is very similar to uh, providing liquidity in um, any AMM pool, like Balancer, for example. Right? Um, mm-hmm. You have to provide both um, tokens that you're providing liquidity for and the ratio of the, of the AMM pool. So from your perspective, it's the same thing as if you're providing liquidity in your favorite AMM. Whichever it is, Uniswap, Balancer, uh, Sushi mm-hmm. swap, right? Um, now, for someone that's uh, taking the other side of that trade that wants to uh, short the liquidity, they, they provide. Um, well, actually, we're, we're redesigning the user interface. But essentially, what's happening, or, or the way it is right now in mm-hmm. our testnet, is that you provide two tokens of that pool that you're going to uh, long the, the volatility on. And, and then you decide uh, how much how much you want to borrow, how much liquidity you want to borrow from the pool to long it. And and well, again, yeah, that's pretty much it. So then you essentially get a straddle on uh, on that uh, liquidity. So so if the price changes, then yeah, your what's normally uh, known as impermanent low becomes impermanent gain for you. That's your P L uh, curve. And you're paying our interest rate, which is the yield that the pool is charging to uh, the Spain liquidity providers plus uh, another interest rate from the, um, uh, from the utilization rate of the pool. So how many tokens, how many LP tokens have we borrowed from the pool to uh, give you this position? So, so, uh, so you essentially owe uh, an LP token if you're long in uh, volatility. An LP token does a current in interest rate on top of the trading fees from the AMM. From the liquidity provider's perspective, They're still providing liquidity as if as normally they would, and they're getting the trading fees from the AMM plus an interest rate from the person that's long in uh, the volatility.
1: Okay, so my question now is: I am a person who wants to long volatility into this USDC and WETH pool. I have to provide collateral in both USDC and WETH in order to borrow the LP Uh, token. No.
2: Yeah, actually, um, uh, if you want to have a pure straddle then you do. Yeah. But if you just want to have a, a leverage loan position or a leverage short position, then you only really mm-hmm. need to provide one because the rest of the collateral is going to come from the from, from the AMM. So your collateral is actually going to be made up of the, the two tokens. But in that case, you would only need to provide one. You just have to have enough collateral there to be able to uh, open the loan and make sure that it doesn't come under collateralized.
1: I see. I see. And what um, collateralization ratio? Are you guys targeting?
2: Uh, so, so yeah, so so because uh, the interest rate is um, is on the invariant, and and the invariant doesn't change with the price. So no matter what the price is, if somebody like flash loans or trades on the pool and changes the price to 100x, that's not going mm-hmm. to affect the invariant. So, yeah, so, so the invariant uh, is, is not affected by the price. So the only thing that affects it is the interest rate on the pool. So, um, so if, if, um, if there's a 1000% APY on the pool, for example, it will take about 24 hours to, for that 1000% APY to consume uh, 3% of collateral. So we're thinking that we can probably uh, do a, like a leverage uh, multi-value ratio that's that high like um ninety seven percent uh, of the loan, so um, wow, so yeah, so we're we're talking to be somewhere very tight like that so we can provide people the most leverage because uh, the risk is different in uh,
0: in our case. ninety seven percent damn. Wow,
1: that's quite hot. that's quite It's really capital efficient.
0: yeah <laughs> Oracle free capital efficient, you're checking all my boxes right here, guys.
3: Yeah, I think, um, we're going to see it be competitive one from, uh, a capital efficiency perspective. Like you'll have to put up basically less capital to get uh, a certain amount of leverage. I think also when we first open up, there's a lot of liquidity in the pools and not that many people taking the other side, the IV is going to be so low and the interest rates to be so low that it's going to be really cheap compared to, to like other, you know, centralized exchange options or other DeFi options.
0: Um, so yeah. at first, oh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I want to get into, uh, the leverage part of a bit. Um, can you explain more about how leverage will be integrated into Gamma swap will it be possible for, you know, if I want to be DJ can I go like 20 X at some point on that leverage?
2: Uh, at some point we're aiming to go for that leverage. Um, especially when we integrate with, uh, other platforms like balancer, where we can, uh, give you more, uh, one-sided, uh, um, uh what, like your, your direction, your direction of your train can be more mm-hmm. one-sided. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, we think we can go uh, up that high.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah,
2: but 50, <laughs> uh, is probably going to be a little bit
0: lower than that. Yeah. Um, and something else I want to get into, uh, uh, Kit, do you have any, well, Yeah, you had a, yeah, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah go, go ahead. I wanted to follow up on that. So
1: let's, let's just kind of walk through this, this leverage user journey as well. I put, you know, same pool USDC with, I put collateral as USDC, then now I'm able to borrow this LP token. Could I then turn around and sell all of the ETH in this LP token and then collateralize more USDC and then borrow more LP token and just rinse, repeat this
2: up until. Uh, no, no, no. So so you're talking about looping, right?
1: Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. No, no, no,
2: because, uh, because then I, uh, so all, the collateral that you take out is stationed in, in the platform to make sure that uh, the loan is always uh, over
0: collateralized.
1: Mm. I see. Okay. So then there's no looping f- functionality here then? No. No
0: loops. No loops.
1: Got it. Okay. If I just want to short more, then I have to deposit more USDC myself just, Well, just yeah, I
2: mean, you're, you're getting a very high um, uh, collateralization ratio, like sure, um, ninety-seven percent, like three yeah. percent controls like a hundred dollars, for example, three dollars controls hundred dollars.
1: Good point.
0: But shouldn't leverage be easier to provide since because like the only the fees come from the interest rates?
2: Yeah, for, yeah, right. For that reason, that's that's the reason why we cannot we can leverage uh, things more.
0: Okay. Yeah, it. he'll.
3: You also, if you're borrowing, you also have to pay the the swap fees that would have been accrued had you been LPing. So I guess to be very specific about the PNL, if you're an LP in gamma swap, it's going to be you know swap fees minus impermanent loss. That's like a normal AMM, but you also get the borrow fees from those longing volatility, and those are dynamic because we're going to have a dynamic interest rate somewhere to Ave. Then on the long gamma side, it's um, impermanent gains, which is the the positive version of uh, impermanent loss, minus the interest rate, and then minus the swap fees you would have accrued had you been LP'ing in the uh, liquidity that you borrowed.
0: Yeah, and how are those interest rates calculated?
2: So the interest rate formula is uh, depending on the utilization rate, but uh, it follows a type of um, exponential growth. So the more the pool is utilized, the the more the interest rate uh, spikes up, and it's more sensitive to to that. So it's not like AV that's just a linear uh, like a linear rate. Uh, this is actually exponential. And and I can max out at like
0: around a thousand percent. Thousand percent, got it. Wow, got it. Thousand percent. That that'd be pretty crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to like go into like a, a little bit about the whole landscape of options of like options on chain compared to options, you know, in, you know, the real world, like you with Bybit and, and whatnot, because like in the traditional finance, options are so much more in market cap than spot trading. I mean so much more like activities and options than in spot trading. But on chain right now, spot trading dominates compared to options and options really haven't hasn't had that, you know, Uniswap, you know, X times Y equals K moment yet. Um, why do you guys think that is? And like, what do you guys think will get options to like the level that it is in traditional finance?
2: Okay. Um, so, uh, in traditional finance, uh, options are, um, are more, um, uh, they're, they're bigger than a spot market just because of, uh, essentially an option of a variable contract is a combination of, uh. The spot in uh, in a loan, so you can replicate any option with with the underlying asset in a loan. And since for that reason you can leverage things out more, and for that reason, then uh, leverage the, the reverse market it always ends up being much bigger than the spot market. So um, and that that hasn't uh, happened in um, in DeFi yet because um, well, there hasn't really been a good alternative for it. Um, like um, most platforms that are that come up with options, for example, they're depending on an oracle. And uh, and will also come up with a more complex uh, uh, designs for the for the protocol, so um, so that's why it's uh, it's it's difficult to, to do this t- type of stuff, but uh, we think that we find a very uh, simple solution that because of its simplicity is uh, very uh, robust, and for that reason I think um, I, I think it'll I think it'll uh, it'll gather more usage for that reason and also because uh, it's trustless. It's permissionless. So, and I think that's an advantage over uh, centralized platforms because you don't have to tra- trust them. So, for example, um, uh, FTX, for example, right? Yeah. A lot of people trusted them with their money and then it's all gone now, right? Yeah. So in our yeah. case, yeah. you don't have to trust us, it's all there. So you can look at a chain, like you can see where all the funds are. So, and that's the, been the promise of uh, decentralized finance all along also, to make things uh, trustless in blockchain. So you're not supposed to be using CFI. If you
3: have DeFi. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. another another Go issue ahead. too is just um, like the infrastructure. Like I think liquidity is very fragmented and a lot of these DeFi option protocols are all competing for liquidity, which like compared to TradeFi right now is, is kind of like scraps. And I think when you get these really liquid markets, they become kind of hard, they're not priced well and they become kind of hard to trade because they're so liquid. So a lot of people have asked us, you know, why... Are you building these kind of like, uh, these services on top of other AMMs and then your own AMM and are you going to keep those services on the other AMM and our answer is kind of like, yeah, we want it all to be there because one, if we can solve the implied volatility problem in AMMs, like the pricing of, uh, the liquidity, and if we can actually serve as a way to aggregate liquidity across AMMs then other DeFi protocols could come and compose on us and uh, they're gonna have less cold start problems and the platforms could potentially like function better. I think, you know, uh, a lot of it too, is just like where uh, bridging has been, like I think once bridging is solved really well and um, especially when like roll solve like these latency issues, like composing will be a lot less expensive from a gas perspective and then yeah, the composing will be easier from latency perspective as well, right? Cause if a, mm. Transaction, I don't know, takes 13 seconds and you're doing that through multiple platforms. It's hard to <laughs> yeah. create like an options protocol off of that. So I think mm-hmm. those are kind of the, the other issues um, that are also kind of like underlying uh, a DeFi right now.
0: Yeah, uh, I want to go back to what you said about, you know, protocols in the cold start pro- uh, problem, uh, because a lot of these protocols, they launch a token. They just like launch it like plainly on Uniswap B3. And then the vault, you know, it may pump because that's what happens in like the, or in the first like week or two weeks. And that's when the most fees happens, this and that, but then it just like dumps and like, there's really no way for like the protocol of they're providing their own protocol on liquidity or users to hedge their risk. And so by cold, like, you know, helping with the cold star problem, do you mean like giving protocols a way to like hedge like their treasury, basically their protocol on liquidity using gamma swap? It's like, okay, we're providing liquidity for our users, and at the same time, we're hedging the risk of providing that liquidity using something like GammaSwap. Uh,
3: I think both, yeah. I think well, I originally meant it as like, okay, let's say I wanna you know, create a platform uh, for like straddles or calls or puts, and I'm not mm-hmm. connecting another platform, I'm just doing my pools. And then you know, crypto is super volatile, so I think you, you might expect that uh, more people would wanna buy those options and sell them. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that'd be like a huge problem. And then those options are super overpriced and then people stop wanting to buy them. And it's just difficult to track liquidity. Like, I think it's just hard to Mm -hmm. completely, liquidity is already a hard thing to achieve. And so if you're going to completely bootstrap it and it's inefficiently priced, it's going to be really hard to scale that liquidity as well. So I think that's part of it. But also, yeah, I think another problem in DeFi, just generally, now that I'm thinking about it, attracting liquidity is, A lot of these projects, um, because of poor tokenomics designs, like don't do well in the long run. You know what I mean? And their supplies like ever inflating or changing versus maybe something like stocks, which, um, is a little bit easier to like predict. I think a lot of that is because, you know, if you want to attract liquidity, uh, to market make for your token and it's super volatile and you're not getting many swap fees, you have to compensate people for that risk to actually attract more liquidity. So you end up doing something super inflationary, but then your token, you know, goes low. No one else wants Mm -hmm. to buy it. Your treasury stops accruing value. And, you know, even if you had a really cool idea or something that, you know, crypto needs, uh, just because of that tokenomics, it's going to be hard for you to attract like capital in the future. So if you look at like TradeFi, the reason um, implied volatility is higher or people are buying more calls and puts than writing them is because people... People are risk adverse. They want to buy insurance on their spot positions, on other positions. So they're buying that volatility uh, to, to hedge their exposure, uh, mm-hmm. those options. And so I think, you know, if you have a way for new projects for people without an Oracle to hedge their exposure to new projects, more people would be willing to provide liquidity. And you wouldn't have to necessarily, you know, um, pay so much money for people to, to come into your pools. and provide liquidity because people could naturally, uh, hedge their risk. Um, and maybe it's more positive to to provide liquidity. So I think both, both of those things are, um, yeah, maybe like the cold start
0: problem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting with options. Cause I've heard that with too, like either the options are too expensive and no one buys them or they're too cheap and they just get like gobbled up and like armed on centralized exchanges. And there really hasn't been that like middle ground. And the same thing kind of happened with like, Dexes on chain, like you, it was either like there was just the slippage or like the yeah the the range between like buy and sells which is too high, and there was like no middle ground. But Uniswap, because it was oracle um, but it was able to like actually you know get like a medium, and with like something like Gamma Swap, it could get that like you know that sweet spot range as well.
3: Yeah, so I really I really think the future of DeFi is less competition for liquidity and more competition like on like innovation or like new ideas. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, in the future, you're going to see more protocols kind of, there's going to probably be few layers and those liquidity mayors might even connect, but they're probably going to be connecting to some other liquidity layer instead of competing. Cause I think it's just, it's on, yeah, it's not a scalable way to track liquidity.
0: Yes. Wait, can you go back on that? Uh, You think DeFi in the future is going to be less about liquidity and more about innovation? Can you go into that point more? Yeah,
3: I think it's just um, right now with like all these different chains and um, the fact that a lot of protocols choose to bootstrap their own liquidity instead of, uh, you know, because of uh, the issues with composability, like on mainnet, like gas costs and latency, it's Mm -hmm. been kind of hard to compose. But I think as we see the infrastructure get better and bridging get better, we're going to see more liquidity layers connect and DeFi protocols instead of competing for liquidity are going to compete. You know, just based on other areas like the, they won't have to focus so much on liquidity. They can focus on the innovation of their their protocol. And um, I think that's when we're really going to see like DeFi skyrocket because mm-hmm. you could launch, have you know some connection to liquidity uh, out of the gate, and then whatever protocol, whatever type of um, product you're trying to offer is going to be more efficiently priced out of the the gate. Um, so. I don't know. I don't know if Daniel has yeah. any thoughts on that, but that's something uh, I've been no, no, thinking I, I about think, a lot more.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean uh, that's that's one of the things actually I touched on. on one of the medium articles we wrote regarding all this, so how this would uh, benefit the whole the whole marketplace. And uh, I think this is not even just an issue on DeFi. It's also an issue on CFI. You look at options on uh, low market cap uh, equities, for example, like small caps. They're usually really thin. Uh, all the liquidity happens at the money, and out of the money, there's no liquidity. If the price changes a lot, you have to wait till somebody starts writing options on those uh, the new price. So this is a problem that plagues all um, all financial instruments, I think, uh, right now. And I think in the future, as uh, more of a finance moves towards blockchain, then uh, I mean, this is going to be a like this is solving a lot of problems. So you're going to be able to be a small cap and be able to provide uh, options insurance on your market and not have to worry about these liquidity issues that also happens. In uh, in CFI, so overall, it's uh, it's good for like everybody, society, uh, everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see because, like, I think like the two like biggest like some of the two biggest markets in DeFi in general are stablecoins and bridging, and like with the bridging issue, like and also like the two most controversial because of obvious like past things that have happened with both. But like, imagine we get to the day where like bridging is trustless, seamless, secure, safe, and quick. And once that like day comes and like, we'll see like when or if that day comes. So let's say it like comes and just like bridging is just super seamless across chains. Like Omnichain becomes a thing. Like tokens aren't wrapped. They're just like minted and burned and stuff like that. And it becomes seamless. Then liquidity won't be an issue anymore. Um, And then it's just like a matter of, like you said, innovating and and just innovating. What will be interesting to see is like the ARBs that were, are going to be done through like that that cross chain bridging. And I've seen like a few projects that I come across that cross my plate that are trying to take advantage of like these low liquidity L2s and like saying like, okay, there's obviously a growing demand on them. How can we like make a, make a profit and ARB off them? Similar to how like back in like twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, everybody was trying to ARB off centralized exchanges. The same thing is happening, but just on L2s and different chains right now.
3: Yeah, exactly. I think the day guys? bridging solved and uh, stable coins, you know, well, a lot of it's regulation, to be honest, but when uh, I think when stable coins are, prove their security and bridging solved, we're going to see DeFi uh, outcompete CeFi. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, I think it's mostly, besides regulation, it's mostly like you were mentioning those infrastructure issues that have been really uh, hindering DeFi.
0: Yeah, Kit, you had a question?
1: Yeah, I just want to say, do, do you guys mind if we roll back to you know gamma swap specifically and the internal mechanics? Because I've just been sitting here and just yeah. kind of ruminating in my own head. Is like, obviously, let's let's just use the V two as an easier example. Like, if, if you LP into a V two, you pretty much are just selling a straddle at whatever strike price it is. Let's just use ETH for example. You're at the one thousand dollars strike price, right? Easy um, at your moment of LP, that is the strike price that you, that you kind of sold the straddle at. Now, on the other side, let's say I'm someone who wants to um, uh, long the volatility here, do I get to pick my strike price by just changing the balance of collateral type? Or must I kind of wait until the market, for example, it moves to 1200 now for me to then decide to take on a, a long vol position here? like. Is there any control in the strike prices or or anything like that?
2: No, yes, you you can change your strike price by changing the collateral ratio.
1: Sorry, could could you repeat that? You literally, like my internet just cut perfectly right when you started talking.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yes, you, you can change the strike price by changing the collateral ratio.
1: Got it, okay. And then if, let's say I, didn't put any collateral on the uh, um, uh, ETH side, and I only did collateral on the USD side, what would my strike price be in, in that situation?
2: Uh, okay, yeah. So if you're able to provide more collateral on, if you already provide more collateral on one side, and then you're rebalancing the token ratio towards that side, so then uh, your strike price is increasing towards that side. So, for example, so, we had um, okay. $100 in one ETH, for example. Say that was the, the collateral ratio.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now you added um, $200 more of, uh, or, all right, um, say $50, right, as collateral so to the US dollar side. And now you take out the loan. So you initially have uh, uh, the strike price of $150. So now if you change uh, some of your ETH for more, um, say like $50 more, of, um, of uh, USDC. Now you have $200 of ETH and a 0.5 of, of ETH. So so now you have, what's that, like uh, a $400 strike price?
1: Got it. Okay. So I would just keep on adjusting my strike price as I add or reduce collateral on either side.
3: Right. Yeah, we're thinking of making that easier in the platform to, like, visualize as well, like having kind of like a leverage slider and then easily seeing your strike price because, yeah, some of the math behind this can be quite complex. Yeah, yeah. uh, I I was
1: reading Daniel's Medium article as, you know, kind of prepping for this call, and I was like, oh, yeah, any average Joe would totally understand all these math on this page, you know? But but let me ask him because
0: (laughs) – Um, so if you, dude like i've been like looking, i've been looking to options since the beginning of the year because it's just like one of those things things of like okay like what's the next thing in DeFi? like an option seems like you know one of those things that could be like the next meta and like if options were going to become a thing what would it look like and i think we're seeing that shape up with uh things like gamma swap coming out and um i'm curious um you know, there's some when I when you guys tell me about GammaSwap, it reminds me of, of another opt, Oracle free free options platform that's coming to market, which is Panoptic, which I believe is ex- exclusively using Uniswap v3 to perform its types of options um, on chain. Um, what do you guys have you guys heard of Panoptic? What do you guys think of them? How, how does it as how is it similar to GammaSwap and how is it how is GammaSwap different from them?
2: Oh, uh, all right. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, I've, I've and, uh, I'll look a little bit into it. Um, I mean, it, it is different from, uh, from GammaSwap in that, uh, we're providing, we're basing this whole thing based on, um, on Unity2. So over the whole price range. And one of the main reasons for that is that we don't want to be able to, um, we don't want to have the problem running out of liquidity when the price moves out of the range. Uh, so um, okay. So that, that, I mean, I think that's been one of the major innovations of, uh, of Uniswap, of the AMM with a, with a, with a geometric mean um, invariant. Like, balancer can do the same thing also. So you never have a liquidity problem. In something like, uh, like Uniswap 3, once you get out of the price range, now um, liquidity is much lower. And so price moves can be gigantic at that point. But uh, mm-hmm. but the thing is that you're still only getting you were only getting paid when you were getting um, when you were in the range. When you're out of the range, you're no longer getting paid. So, it, but mm-hmm. the problem is that once you're out of the range, your risk is even much higher because the liquidity is lower. Mm-hmm. So um, so so that's why um, yeah th- th- that's why it, it makes just things way more complicated. The function to be able to model all that is also much more complex. And uh, yeah, and Panakti is going with a different approach to uh, to do all of that. And I mean uh, yeah, I mean I wish it the best of luck. Uh, do with that, but uh, I I think it's a more complex way of uh, of doing something um, that I think is much easier to do with the geometric mean in Uniswaping 2 or or... Balancer.
0: Interesting, yeah, go ahead.
3: I think the other thing we've been kind of touching on too is, um, uh, so I think Univ3 is interesting. It's super interesting innovation. And then obviously longing the volatility on that's cool. We plan on having our own implementation. I guess uh, our vision maybe is more uh, contrarian, I guess. I think a lot of what we think is that, you know, there, there is a new type of AMM product. I think retail is getting crowded out of market making and we feel like we need to create a new AMM to serve retail. And so I think that's, that's one of the areas we're most excited about is this new type of AMM that's not incentivized by swap fees at all. It's just purely a two-sided volatility marketplace because if you think about what, um, what, what could happen if you have an AMM like that, is that, uh, yeah, people are withdrawing liquidity out when they long volatility, but the, the yield that we've been calculating based on, um, if you calculate the implied volatility of the AMM and you assume it's the same as historical volatility, which is even conservative compared to TradeFi, then most pools you get 50 to 100%, sometimes up to 200% yield. So although there's times with liquidity would be drawn withdrawn out, if you're arbing the yield, there should actually be more liquidity in this type of, if the model works in these type of pools. So we think it's a way for retail to still contribute and then potentially uh, attract more liquidity as well. Because also, yeah, people can buy that insurance and um, yeah, it, would, it w- would create higher yields for, for LPs. So yeah. I think that's, our, that, that's the bigger vision but we also wanna provide this service on other AMMs and then connect that liquidity as well. So um, I think we have like similar ideas of what um, an LP position is like selling volatility, but I think the way our solutions are, are very different.
0: Yeah, and I think the key with you guys is um, a way for retail to passively earn in this new landscape where things have gotten so complicated especially you know, mm-hmm. with Uniswap V3, like it's it's just not friendly retail at all. And like, that's probably one of the biggest critiques of Uniswap V3. So you guys see this problem. It's like, how can we get like the common man? Like, how can we get that spirit of like DeFi summer 2020, like back? And like, we can get it back with something like GammaSwap coming up.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. think uh, the whole point of blockchains was to serve the retail market. Uh, like the institutional yeah. market, uh, big banks, um, they didn't have a problem with trust with the financial sector, right? Uh, the, the problem with trust was with the retail sector and the institutional sector because there's a difference in bargaining power between them. So having that trustless yeah. platform uh, does solve a lot of issues. And if you're going to have trading options or any other product. I mean, the trustless is for retail, so blockchain is for retail. So
0: yeah. Honestly, yeah. I, I don't love the word retail because I feel like I feel like the word is like people that haven't been in, like, the traditional circles, which I guess is retail, but also includes, like, per se, sophisticated investors that have, like, that might be outside the U.S. or, like, might not have gotten, like, the same opportunities as people in TradFi. And TradFi is kind of this, like, closed-door, closed-gated, like, old boys club where, like, they get access to these, like, options, quote, no, no pun intended. And so they never really needed something like blockchain to come along. But, like, something like blockchain, like, it's, like, ripe for opportunity for, like, Anyone that you know has the knowledge to you know take advantage of it, and you know, it's there for them.
2: Well, how I mean, would... you see the same thing happen in other industries also, like media, for example? Like before, it was just TV, so how you got your news or the radio. Now it's uh, the internet, uh, social media, the internet.
0: Hell, of well, this podcast. Happen, like, like, <laughs> yeah, we can just like throw up a podcast yeah. on YouTube and Spotify yeah. and boom, get an audience and they can hear us go deep on uh, on-chain Oracle as options. That's the beauty of technology. Yeah.
3: With Twitter and YouTube, everyone's a journalist. And with GammaSwap, everyone's going to be a market maker.
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that. And every like anyone that. could be, be a market headline. maker with GammaSwap. Exactly. Yeah, yeah so, so I think... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask. No. Uh, okay, you go
3: ahead. <laughs> <laughs> my internet's a little slow, so you probably respond, and then my response is delayed. No, yeah. I was just saying, yeah, I think that's that's the biggest reason we want to focus on retail as well, because, um, yeah, I think that's, if you look at stablecoins, uh, how, how, like, DeFi is being used now with, like, all these countries where there's, you know, super high inflation, they want access to the U.S. dollar, but... You know they can't because of their banks or whatever or mm-hmm. yeah you like sending money to people in other countries maybe the banks aren't allowing that or you have something like what happened in canada with the truckers banks being closed yeah. down like defi is or crypto is like power to the people just like that was yeah and crypto is like the next big innovation so we want to focus on like the average person instead of uh i guess more complex products which are cool too but um can crowd out like the average
0: person. Yeah, definitely. And I was going. Oh, Kit, go ahead.
1: Oh, I, I wanted to ask, like, how do you guys feel about like other multi-asset AMMs? Because if it's just asset A and B, it, it's it's, it's kind of easier. But let's say something like TriCrypto or or some of the other balancer pools where there's like a ton of actually even uneven weighted pools as well too. You know, um, how how does the math kind of change there?
2: All right, yeah, so I, li- I like the, uh, the uh, unequal weighted pools because uh, you get a different return profile. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the, the multi-asset pools, like, if you get past three, like, I mean, um, I can visualize up to uh, what a three-dimensional object looks like. So mm-hmm. two, two tokens looks similar to a parabola, three tokens, all right, so it turns into something like a cone. Now, four and tokens, I don't even know what the hell does that look like. Right. Imagine so, what so, GLP so, looks like. Yeah, <laughs> then five dimensions. Right. So I think uh, I think that's just making things uh, too complicated. Like mm-hmm. I mean, we can write a whole bunch yeah. of different things and make it as complicated as they can. Like they do that in music too, with adding mm-hmm. just more notes. But then it doesn't really uh, it doesn't really simplify your life. I mean, you're trying to mm-hmm. make things simpler. Right. So people.
3: I mean, in some ways, I think it's cool because you know, if you don't have something like gamma Swap or you just don't want a long volatility. Uh, Like the more tokens you have in the pool, it's going to reduce the volatility because then, um, yeah, it's not like one super volatile asset and one stable or one less, one stable. It's easier way to reduce volatility, which I guess reduces impermanent loss. But yeah, I think um, in some ways it makes the math and these products more complex. And then for for us, like when we think about building on protocols, it's very hard for us to create like a a Gamma marketplace on that because... I mean no it's really hard to visualize how the how that collateral is going to affect your position and actually um uh, reflecting the math and uh like
0: uh in the leverage so guys everybody wants to know what collateral types off the bat are going to be accepted on gamma swap and how are you guys are going to approach DAO to DAO partnerships
2: all right um i'll ask you that first on the collateral types um so So we're permissionless. So we can pretty much do uh, any token pair. So, uh, and we don't plan on restricting it. So people can do, um, launch whatever, uh, a Gamma pool or whatever uh, pair that they want. So we'll be supporting everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, um, uh, but uh, but of course, I mean, uh, uh, um, like on our website directly, I mean, yeah, we're going to probably um, promote mainly uh, the most popular tokens, since that's where most of the liquidity is anyways. Um, then on the, the partnerships down, so I can, I first, delve that that?
3: Yeah. So, um, I guess at, so yeah, we were talking a little bit, or the, the question of composability always comes up. So, uh, we have these gamma swap, uh, ERC 20 tokens that represent, uh, either the underlying, uh, liquidity pool, if we're doing, you know, like a Uniswap balancer pool or our own native pool, and, uh, they function the same as a regular. ERC 20 LP token. So I think from a BD perspective, how we're first approaching it is getting on on like these gauges uh, for these protocols that are incentivizing pools. You know, if you're incentivizing, uh, you know, a, a balancer uh, ETH USCC pool, well, um, let me think actually, maybe like an ETH FRAX pool, like FRAX is incentivizing that in balancer, then incentivize the same pool in GammaSwap because um, yeah, you might actually end up getting more liquidity and then, um, yeah, you're hedging your risks because it's on a, a few different AMMs. And then also, you know, new projects when they launch liquidity mining programs, uh, we'd like to be, you know, either the first AMM or a wrap pools being part of that service, so they could either release these pools or maybe they even release vaults that are automatically hedging IL uh, for mm-hmm. their liquidity providers and provide some token incentives on that. Uh, so just including us in those liquidity mining programs. But I think um, beyond that. Uh, you know, once we have some of these vaults that are automating IL, like maybe doing some DAO treasury management, if you have, if you want to acquire more ETH, USCC, but maybe, you know, you don't have someone on the team that can market make for you, or yeah, you don't have the bandwidth, just deposit one of our vaults will help you out. And so you could, yeah, get uh, more risk hedge yield, or maybe diversify into another token if you'd like. And then uh, building out structured products, I think is going to be super important. So We've already been chatting with a few other products, but for example, you know, a lot of people who have trade five backgrounds love trading with expiries just because um, they're familiar with that strategy mm-hmm. and those payoffs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, incentivizing protocols to build, you know, those type of calls and puts off of us. Um, other types of vaults. Um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be even new products that we haven't even thought of that could potentially be built. Um, then I think what's really cool is if we have our own gauges, we're not only going to see like things like the curve wars between projects, but we even see wars between different AMMs like curve and, you know, Uniswap are fighting for uh, their same pool, their same stable pool and they're incentivizing to compete each other for more liquidity um, in general. Your own gauges
0: when, when gamma swap token. (laughs)
3: It'll be, it'll be live when we launch on mainnet. So we're going to be doing liquidity mining, uh, potential gauges as well um so i think that's when things are going to get really really
0: interesting uh, so for your tokenomics are you guys gonna have like a ve system then is that what you're thinking are you gonna have something else
3: yeah we're we're gonna uh probably be part of the real yield narrative uh it'll be subject to to vote. part of that's honestly regulatory arbitrage on our end Mm -hmm. but yeah we definitely subscribe to like the real yield. uh i think gauges are really interesting for amm so mm-hmm. those are two things i think um we're definitely looking to potentially
0: implement yeah i mean but with like the how your tokenomics look look like like what do you mean by real yield with your tokenomics
3: yeah so we're we're going to uh give part like part of the revenue probably A part sort of the revenue, of oh, revenue. Oh, okay okay i got it yeah
0: yeah oh, okay. um
3: it's Oh,
1: it's instead of token emissions, you're going to do rev share.
3: Well, um, do we'll like have some emissions both? as well. Yeah, we'll have a, okay. we'll do a little bit of both. Because so I think I don't think in, I think inflation, when it's not controlled or not expected or not understood, is a bad thing. But I think some inflation can be a good thing for a new project. Yeah. Like a lot um, of you know layer ones yeah. uh, are inflationary. Sure, sure. So the growth in stage. the beginning of our life cycle, I think it will be we plan to stop emissions after like two or three years.
0: Yeah. I guess like I'll, I'll clarify my question a bit, like for the gamma swap token, do you guys see yourselves having tokenomics similar to curve and frax or more similar to something like GMX where they have multiplier points and stuff like that, or is it something completely different? It's
3: uh, it's, a, it's probably going to be some combination of that. So we're mm-hmm. still, we're still thinking through that. Um, but um uh, yeah, I think, um, I think what GMX did is pretty genius. Essentially they had emissions and they, you know, they were predicating it on the fact that when emissions decline, there'd be enough TVL and volume that the, uh, the real yield would be compet- like similar to, to those emissions. Mm-hmm. And so I think in a lot of ways, the way they designed their platform is genius, so, uh, definitely, uh, looking at what they're doing and then, yeah, I think what curve's doing is genius as well. Um. Uh-huh. And uh, I think that's something we'd we'd potentially like to implement as well, especially when uh, converting uh, or connecting into these like different AMMs and different uh, pools, like different protocols. I think uh, our uh, token holders could benefit a lot from from that competition. For yeah.
1: we never got to yeah. ask this, but how does GammaSwap make money?
0: How does GammaSwap make money? It's a good question. <laughs>
2: Uh, so, so we charge a, a protocol fee on the, um, on the borrowed liquidity. So um, the stuff that's borrowed from the platform, is an industry charging that, uh, not, not the part from the, that comes from the AMMs, but the part that's borrowed from the platform. So the interest rate of the platform, we charge uh, a percentage fee on that, which is about uh, 10%. And uh, then besides that, um, there's a uh, plan of launch and also also have a management fee on top of them which are similar to ETF products, um, is a um, management fee for uh, managing the liquidity provision on your side. And and yeah, the problem later on, even more products on which uh, we charge also fees.
1: Got it, I'm yeah. sorry, you, you said you charge 10% on the interest rate that's being, like like the borrower's interest rate, or, or, or where did that 10% come from?
2: The, the borrower's interest rate.
1: Got it, okay. So,
2: so, so, so what borrower's paying? Mm-hmm. We're taking it trip
1: understood. that. Understood, understood. And, and then you said there's a management fee on top of that?
2: No, no, no. So there's a management ma- management fee on vaults. Vaults that are managing uh, liquidity, similar to to Yearn, for example. That, understood. That uh, yeah. We'll do We'll do something similar.
3: So for the vaults, we'll probably do, uh, I think Yearn does 2% management, 20% performance fee, so 20% of the yield. So we probably have something similar. So I think for vaults, we're probably planning on building them out for like very decentralized currencies, like uh, ETH, BTC, um, maybe even you know uh, other projects that are pretty decentralized, like uh, like Frax or um, you know, other projects that are like larger market cap. For newer, obviously we can't, it would be very really difficult for us to build all those type of vaults out. So we're hoping that uh, new, we'll incentivize pro- projects to build on us when we have enough revenue but also Mm -hmm. that maybe new projects when they launch uh, their token or launch liquidity programs that they might also do that in the form of vaults. uh, So that's, you know, easier for their, um, for, for their LPs or uh, token holders to provide liquidity without um, having to hedge at risk, like on their own.
1: Understood. And then the 20% performance fee, it's the, you're only going to take whatever performance above what the native swap fees were going to generate anyways, right? Or are you guys going to take 20% off like the whole thing?
3: Probably the yield. I, the whole thing? Okay. Uh, we'd have to look at like, we were just going to model it off here. And so we have to look oh, okay. at more, but I think I think they mm-hmm. just it's do the it off the, yeah, the total okay. yield. So yeah. that's probably what we would do. Yeah. I yeah, thought I mean, it might be more... I'm
1: sorry, I just want to finish my point. I, I thought mm-hmm. it might be more attractive if like you could offer this product where it's like hey, we're you're going to earn more because we take care of the IL for you. So you won't have this IL like negative component. So you essentially get to keep 20% of the IL savings that you provided for the user. And the user gets to keep 100% of like the trading fees and then all like the native real yield. And and, and you're just yeah. adding on top of that. I think that's very very attractive.
2: It's a, uh, no, it's a good no, idea. Yes. So, so the, the issue is that, uh, um, I mean, there, there hasn't really been enough thought put into how you track, um, I know what you're talking about, you're talking about a, a, a watermark on, uh, on, on the deal, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so yeah, so there hasn't been a lot of solution out there for implementing that on DeFi yet. So that's something that we still have to think about on how we're going to do, it. and that's farther down, down the road also. So that's why, um, I mean, we're going to try to be as fair as possible to the community and make the product as attractive as possible. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean implementation-wise, like go like we have to do what's more realistically possible to do. So right now, I mean the only solution Understood. that we've been uh, doable is the the year solution where they charge on the total yield. But if we can uh, make it yeah. so that uh, we can implement a type of watermark, yeah, I mean that would be ideal, of course. So but there's still more I more mean, no research.
3: I think that's something cool about the like the real yield narrative or giving back some of the the revenue to token holders is we look at something like GMX. I think GMX has some of like the highest fees, but a lot of time, one, the UI is really simple. It's an amazing trading experience, like no slippage. Like that's awesome. But a lot of it Mm -hmm. too, is that if you're a token holder, you probably use GMX as your primary trading platform. And you're kind of willing to pay some of those fees because you know, it's going back to, to you or the other token holders. And so I think um, that's like an interesting component as well. But yeah, like Dan was saying, I think there's, um, there's things we want to do to make our mm-hmm. products more attractive, but the like the first the easy we're gonna start with the simple so just we can release right. the product, you know the battle tested stuff make sure everything's secure and then, uh, you know build on top of that and innovate on top of that somewhere to like yeah a lot of these other DeFi protocols they launched the V one, V two
0: V three whatever. Yeah, and I was gonna ask how is GammaSwap gonna be composable with other DeFi protocols like. Have you, have you guys thought about that?
2: Well, well, what do you exactly mean by composability though?
0: Like, well, like, what will I be able to do with like GammaSwap LP tokens per se? Like, what are some things like, like, how will it, how will it be, how will GammaSwap be a, a money lego in DeFi with other protocols?
2: Okay. All right. So so uh, the providing liquidity into GammaSwap is the same as uh, the experience is the same as providing liquidity into Uniswap that you still get an LP token so you can deposit that LP token inside another platform for liquidity mining like they like people used to do back in uh, 2020. So mm-hmm. that so that's uh, that's one aspect of composability on the providing liquidity side. On the logging volatility side, you're getting an NFT which you can transfer to other people and if you wanted to do something like um, say, uh, all right, so you want to turn this into a, a, a long volatility uh, position so that everybody provides liquidity into, into up, and they borrow liquidity to uh, keep it for the whole price range. So you're essentially buying a straddle and, want to have, uh, and you want to uh, th- turn that NFT into an ERC20 token, you could theoretically also do that because that NFT is transferable. And of course, it would require another smart contract to control that NFT. But that's another thing that we can do and uh, and yeah, so that would have, uh, it's another uh, Lego in the whole in the whole system.
0: Got yeah, it. Like the
1: the, it. the way I'm thinking of GammaSwap's composability, Dave, is like instead of it being on like this this LP token level, I think it's more on like the actual product middleware level. Okay. The Gamma Swap can can insert itself and create crazy structured product like like the vault. Yeah. The super simple, like you know, no IL vault, for example. The LP token for, from this this vault could probably, or the you know ERC one two four whatever that number is, the, <laughs> yeah that that yeah. vault token can be used for somewhere else as collateral because yeah. now it's like you know IL was super hard to calculate but now in this case there's no IL so you have two assets and you can price two assets very easily, right? So mm. I, I think that that kind of adds to the yeah. uh, composability overall.
0: Yeah, I like how you framed it as like this middleware, this tool, uh, more mm-hmm. so than like you know, like like Uniswap LP tokens, which is like the end all br. Like, oh, like where can we put the Uniswap LP tokens? Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. But like with GammaSwap, it's like, oh, like we can actually like use this um, to like hedge, literally.
1: Yeah, it's, it's redefining liquidity providing. Like it, yeah. It, it, it really is. It like, flips it know? on its head. Yeah, like if if you really want to go full naked, naked short straddle,
0: you could. It's available
1: right now for you. Yeah, but if if you want to cover <laughs> up a little bit, you know, you could use uh um, Gamma Swap. That's that's what I'm I'm excited to see like a a, lit, a little bit further down the road to see how Gamma Swap's product creates more structured products. Cuz the moment yeah. you told me that I could adjust the collateral and create completely different like profit profiles, I was like, "Oh, that's very interesting." So you, you could theoretically have on like a bunch of like, you know, bull call spreads mixed with a bunch. Of, and hopefully later on with some expiries, you mix it in with some calendar spreads too. Right. So you, you create right, a really, really
0: yeah. unique profile um, that yeah. way. Um, oh, Daniel, were you going to say something? No, no, I was agreeing with him. that uh, oh, yes, okay. you
2: can create spreads with it.
0: Yeah. So speaking about down the line, also, everybody wants to know what's on the GammaSwap roadmap. Like, what's happening right now? You guys are in testing, I believe, and do you have any yeah. special announcements for us?
3: Yeah, so we're pl- we're going through our audit right now. I think we're in like the second week of our audit uh, with Halborn, so that should be completed soon. And we're also working on uh, an adapter for balancer. So mainnet is going to be UniV2 Sushi balancer, um, and then. About a month later, we're quickly going to build out uh, an implementation for Univ3. Then, more of our vaults, you know, uh, partnerships to build structured products. And I'd say mid to end of the year, we're going to be launching wow. our own native AMM. Uh, once people kind of understand the model, we get some liquidity, some traction. Um, that, uh, yeah, we'll have that feedless stacks. And then, I think, especially having all those pools in one platform, it's going to be really easy to ARB uh, between like different pools. So, uh, I think we're, yeah. Uh, like, um, like he was saying, I think we're, we're kind of seeing as gamma swap is this like middle layer where other protocols can compose. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important thing as well as having all of this liquidity available for other protocols to compose and also build out like unique strategies. So, um, that's how we've been, uh, thinking about our roadmap a lot is, uh, yeah, kind of one proving out the model and then yeah, building out this whole liquidity layer, and then also any AMM, any project, can incentivize whatever they want through us and build whatever type of strategy they want uh, on top of us.
0: Yeah, and how do you guys see yourselves partnering with protocols like Frax? Like, I think of two things off the bat. One, simply is just gauges, and two, you could integrate with Frax Swap and have FXS options, FPI options, FPIS options. Like, imagine having an option against the CPI. That sounds pretty cool.
3: Yeah, so we, we definitely super attracted to, to FRAX. It's a project I've been following uh, for a while. So I think the first thing we're going to start out with is gauges. Uh, we may end up building some vaults with FRAX or incentivizing maybe other protocols that want to build vaults with FRAX on top of our platform. And then, um, yeah, uh, FRAXSwap is really interesting. I know there's a decent amount of TBL, especially for the FRAX types yeah. of products. So I, think, I think that's something we'll look into more. Um, our, our code can technically work with any AMM and there's some AMMs that we've kind of leaned against. For example, uh, not saying we'll never have a curve implementation, but with curve, with a lot of this uh, liquidity being, you know, locked up, it makes it hard to integrate. And then obviously mm-hmm. a lot of it being stable, uh, unless, you know, you're predicting a DPEG, there's probably not going to be a ton of demand to long volatility. Mm-hmm. But I think with what I've seen from FragSwap, it could be something interesting for us to integrate, uh, uh, down the line for sure. Dope. I mean,
1: also, Dope. uh, public, uh, service announcement, a FRAX base pool could be paired with non-stable pairs <laughs> as well. And now you could use that with gamma swap and now you have no IL in your FRAX base <laughs> pool pair of non-stables.
0: <laughs> oh, boom. Cool. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, going into that a bit more, um, could we lock liquidity like frack swap liquidity in gamma swap contracts um is that possible because like that's one big thing that uh like Frax always tries to do is you know have locked fracks because it helps with the peg
2: oh, oh okay all right so um de- depending on what you mean uh, one way is more difficult than the other way so if you mean um if there's already liquidity locked in an amm and uh, you want to keep that liquidity locked inside the AMM and then supply it through GammaSwap so GammaSwap can take advantage of it, then you're, then you're saying the GammaSwap is supposed to also uh, remove that liquidity that's locked and to, to pull the reserve tokens out of it. And so that's a more difficult implementation and it probably involves a lot of other risks. So, so that's not, it's probably doable, depending on how uh, that's built, it's probably doable. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not, yeah, I mean, I can't say 100% sure that uh, it is doable. Depends really on how the AMM is built, how the liquidity mining contract is built, depends on several other factors. But now, what what is definitely yeah. doable is if the liquidity is provided to GammaSwap into the AMM, then you can lock up the GammaSwap LP token that, that represents the liquidity inside mm. the AMM in another liquidity mining contract or whatever other contract um, you're using to uh, get a certain reward or, or like a gauge, for example. You can definitely do that,
3: yes. Okay. Yeah, so I think um, the the important thing, of course, for GammaSwap is for people to be able to open those on Gamma positions. So I think an implementation is possible as long as, well, if there's demand for volatility, of course, and then, yeah, we can actually withdraw that liquidity out for the underlying token. So, you know, um, we'd have to look into exactly how it would work with, uh, with, with uh, FRAX. But um, I think, uh, you know, maybe if that's not the current implementation, it's always something that we could... You know, if these gauges are going well, we could propose on governance, a slightly different implementation, mm-hmm. explain our reasoning why, and then hopefully implement it. So a lot of these things yeah. are possible. It's just, there's, there's nuances that we have to, uh, yeah, be thoughtful of.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot. <laughs> I feel lot. like Dave
1: and I are like in a kid in a candy store right now, just asking yeah.
0: all the wish list items. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing interviews like this. Cause it's like live BD. And it's like public live BD, kind of like how there's for, like discussions and forums and online, but we're just doing straight up in video and like asking the questions that you know people want to ask. Um, and I want to uh, end this off with one more question, and then we'll go to the uh, our lightning round that we usually have. Um, so give us like the ultimate like full scenario for Gamma Swap. Like, what does Gamma world domination look like? Like, Defi, like Defi, you know, supplants TradFi. You know that's the world is ultimately on chain gamma swap is like the leading way to hedge this and you know your world of extreme volatility like what does the gamma world order look like oh
2: okay well i mean we have a lot of other products that we want to launch that we think are going to be even uh, more influential um Ooh. i think it's about uh, what can be done with a uh, gamma swap and volatility trading uh, and that's still i mean the stuff that still hasn't been explored because uh this type of product doesn't exist in, uh, in C-Phi. Like there's never mm-hmm. been, a, like the AMM itself, for example, there's never been something that, uh, that like, has infinite liquidity, like a platform that has infinite liquidity. And, and in the case of gamma GammaSwap, uh, something that, um, as the price changes, the, um, the Gamma doesn't converge to one, it's still decreasing. I mean, it's going towards one, but it never really becomes one. I mean, like the Delta, I mean, so the Gamma never really becomes zero. So the Delta never really becomes one. It converges to that level, but it doesn't. So, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of things that you can do with that that um, they haven't been built in five So you're gonna be able to do new things in DeFi that you were never uh, thought it was possible in five And for that reason, probably come up with some really uh, cool solutions for like new financial products that solve uh, problems that people have and uh, that haven't been uh, solved before. And look, like, I don't want to give too much away because uh, oh. Uh, so it's supposed to be uh, something that we're still working on, and and like, but it'll come down the road. I mean, besides
0: the there, so like something uh, we think is yeah. sustainable. You can give us the hints next time. All right. The <laughs> <out for> next... <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: So I think that's kind of just adding some more color. To that. That's the ultimate bull scenarios. We create products, and uh, you know, uh, the we avoid the issue of like liquidity fragmentation that we've seen in CFI, so that DeFi. You know, it's something that's usable by all people, um, accessible by all people. And that the, because of, yeah, not even this fragmentation of liquidity within products, but within, like, different governments and, like, countries with their different, uh, like, yeah, government currencies, we see DeFi totally, you know, um, outcompete CeFi. I think that, I'm I'm 100% sure that's what, what when it, what's going to happen. Do, I don't know exactly what the catalyst is, but I think... You know, if GammaSwap's successful, we'll be one step in aiding towards that direction. Which, um, yeah, is something I think that that drives us a lot—a
0: foundational cool. pillar in a self-sovereign, permissionless world. Um,
1: before we <laughs> jump into the lightning round questions, I, I want to double click on this: what success looks like for you guys. W- one second more. Like, is there a one key metric or or one KPI that you guys, or like you, Devin specifically, are looking to drive forward? Like, you know, is it TVL or is it number of of gauges or is it you know, number of vaults being opened? Like, number of IL saved from the world.
0: <laughs> yeah. Saved from the world. Yeah.
3: I mean, um, for gamma swap, you know, I think TBL is not the perfect number, but it's like good enough. So I think, you know, if we see TVL in gamma that's competitive, you know, with like different AMMs, uh, like a leading TVL number, I think that would be super awesome. I think bigger picture though, like the biggest thing that DeFi needs is, is more users. So particularly if we can just increase the amount of like wallets and users active in DeFi. I think that's, that's probably, even if it's not necessarily the best metric to to contribute to the success of GammaSwap or measure the success of GammaSwap, mm-hmm. I think that's what's going to help DeFi, you know, explode in the future. So I think that TBL is probably the metric we're looking at, but that other metric, you know, growth in user wallets, activity, things like that. Like, I think that's, what we should be aiming for just as a space is increasing the amount of people active in our industry. So I'm hoping we're, we're one, we're one step to, to, to that growth of, uh, of users in DeFi. Well,
2: Mm. yeah, about that, um, I I would say that since we're trying to solve a problem and you know, the problem's been solved once the yield on AMMs is substantially high, that it makes it, it makes it profitable to provide liquidity again. So, because I think it should be, uh, people are natural risk averse, so implied volatility is supposed to always be higher than historical volatility, at least most mm-hmm. of the time. So, so, if that happens, then, uh, then all right. so then we solved the problem, really. And we were the first one to solve it, uh, we'll be probably the biggest product out there. So, I think uh, everything from that just translates into uh, that we did a good job, we executed, well, we solved the problem.
1: Well, I, I like both your answers. I, I like them both. Amen to that. Uh, all right, let's let's switch gears into our lightning round questions, and these are just a set of questions for us to get to know you better as you know humans, and like friends and builders. So let's let's start with you, Daniel. Here is like, um, what was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch a blockchain? And sexes don't count.
2: Uh. Um... Do you mean like, uh, and which AMM?
1: What was your first transaction on chain?
2: Oh, um, well, yeah, I bought Bitcoin. That was the first thing I was I mean, I think everybody like the first, back then, this was back in 2013. The only way you could get a crypto was through, first you get Bitcoin. And you uh, had to go to Coinbase, there was nowhere else. There was also uh, Mt. Gox in Japan back then. It was very difficult to uh, get an account there back then. And then they went bust uh, soon after. So even right, the, the, you know, yes, right, and chicken. also local Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> local Bitcoin. <laughs>
1: yes. So, LocalBitcoin.com. I'll meet you at the corner that. Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. so,
3: so are, are these questions that, for both, um, of both of us? Because I have yeah, good yeah. answer to this question.
1: These questions are, are for both. So, so Devin, what, what was your first virgin crypto experience?
3: Uh, probably using the Silk Road with Bitcoin. I uh, yeah. yeah, just oh. wanted. I thought it was awesome uh, to just be able that there was this marketplace that anyone could have access to. It's totally encrypted. And, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience because yeah, you basically decentralized voted on, on trust and you didn't even know any other mm-hmm. people, but it was a good way to measure it out. Obviously now, yeah, that's, that's right. changed a lot. And yeah, I hope crypto can go out of the, the illicit activities, but, um, I'm naturally like very libertarian, and so that was really attractive about crypto to I me see. is that it's just controlled by the people, and so now it, hopefully more professional ways trying to to contribute to that mm-hmm. kind of that narrative or ideology.
1: Was was the marketplace a good experience, or were the products on the marketplace a good experience? <laughs> just just <laughs> okay. care
3: but Both were a good experience. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, awesome. I just thought it was so. It was so cool that I had, I could get this wallet, get money in it and then transact online in any way I wanted. And mm-hmm. yeah, the transactions weren't super fast, but yeah. Anyone could give each other money. There was no intermediaries. I just yeah, thought yeah, that yeah, was for sure. super cool. And, uh, I think that's still the most cool thing about DeFi is that yeah, you remove intermediaries. It's just, it's like the internet, mm-hmm. a lot of ways it's just connects people and Yeah, you don't have to rely on anyone else just decentralizing the world.
1: Yep. And uh, let's jump to our second question is what is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity? What are some of your hobbies and interests?
3: Should I I wait for Daniel to come back? You you, you could just go and ask him again. I'm right here. Okay. Uh, Off-chain touch grass activity. I don't know. The easiest one for me is just like lifting weights that's always been kind of an outlet for me but Mm -hmm. one thing i love even though i suck at it is like running because you can do it like anywhere yeah you can like see kind of like the world around you um yeah to you get great endorphins like after it so i love exercising and i think you know when working really hard and uh just on whatever like crypto or just in life it's always important to remember to touch grass or do What's gonna, you know, give you that kind of rush? Because, yeah, otherwise you can get kind of
0: uh, lost in the yeah. Sauce. In the, so, yeah, lost <laughs> in twenty four seven crypto. Yeah. Uh, next question: What would be some of your advice to your younger self? Let's say your younger self that's twenty.
3: That's a good question. I think like taking risks is really important, but taking mm-hmm. like the right types of risks. And I think, uh, you know, I I was lucky to get in early to crypto, but in some ways I wish I leaned into that more mm-hmm. early on um, just because I think um, if you can see like the potential of an industry, like, you know, it's a, asymmetric upside, like if it ends up becoming the next big thing, like it's a huge payout and worst case, you know, it doesn't become the next big thing, but you know, at least you're working like something you believed in and got uh, mm-hmm. a lot of great, great experience from. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think regular software is cool, but crypto is always excited to be more. So I wish I, yeah, after graduating, instead of going into up to just found some, there were less opportunities available just cause it was a smaller industry. But mm-hmm. I think I, I wish I just would have contributed more to crypto early on. I guess that's the stereotypical answer, but like I saw it as a risk, but now that I've gotten older, I just realized if you can identify like well-weighted risks, it's better to lean into those risks because yeah, yeah that the failure is minimal, like worst case scenario, mm-hmm. you get another job, you go to another industry, but the upside is, is huge. And especially if you believe in something or really excited about something, it feels less like, like work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And the last question on my end is like, if you weren't in crypto, what would you be doing professionally as a career? Like a dream career, like a, like
3: a dream career, like it, money matters or money doesn't matter.
1: You, says, this is about you, not me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean something I've always loved doing, and now I do. Well, I did as a career, and loved doing as a hobby was personal training. I uh, yeah was uh, I started the powerlifting club in my college, and was uh, really excited to help people out. And one of probably my most proud accomplishments when I graduated, we had set like twenty state records, which was just like absolutely insane. Yeah, nice. And uh, was personal training as a as a career a little bit uh end of high wow. school like the summer before college and in college and so yeah i guess if money wasn't as an issue but i still wanted to work uh outside of crypto cuz i think crypto's extremely exciting i think that would be an area just cuz it's something i love doing in my free time and yeah i think like helping people achieve their goals is is really cool so just contributing to things i believe in i think you know i think physical health is very important and i also think like um like kind of like very libertarian to like libertarian ideologies are really important to me. Like, you know, the power to the people, you know, less control for the government. Those are just things I, I deeply like believe in. So I guess I'm lucky to be in the, the industry I want to be in, but that's, that's probably the other thing that yeah I'm deeply motivated by is just, yeah, the power, I think of physical fitness to like, you know, boost self-confidence, boost your health, boost the way you feel. I like
0: that.
1: Crossfit Can't meets Crypto yeah.
3: Fit.
0: I <laughs> can not agree more. Something like that.
1: So, Daniel, my uh, second question is what is your favorite off chain touch grass activity? What are some um, of your hobbies and interests?
2: No, well, uh, so actually, uh, since I moved to Florida, I was actually working out a lot. Uh, so, I was going to the gym a lot because there's a gym across the street for me. So, I was just doing pretty much that. Uh, I was like going to the gym like, Four or five times a week for like three, four hours, and um, then I got involved with gamma stuff. So now, I'm like, no, I can't go to the gym anymore. So that's- <laughs>
1: oh, really? I, I thought you were at the gym just like bench pressing. How do I hedge these deltas? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm gonna pull a bar, everything else. So, yeah.
0: Nice.
2: Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I guess we're working out. I guess is uh, one of the things uh, I do a lot. Murphy time.
0: Yep. So Daniel what would be some advice to your younger self, your younger self. Let's say he's 20 years old. He's looking at you. He's like, Daniel, and what should I do? Like, is it going to be okay? <laughs>
2: uh, well, actually, uh, I, I'm actually uh, I'm quite satisfied with everything I was doing back then. Well, what I would say that uh, uh, advice at one point in my life that I would give to myself was um, back in 2011, our first heard about Bitcoin. And I thought this thing was great. You should buy a lot of it. And then I got into a fight with my girlfriend and I kind of forgot about it. Many <laughs> such <laughs> so cases. <expensive> fight. <laughs> I, yeah, so so, so uh,
1: guys, yeah. like, like this that answer of like, oh, I wish I bought more X right. has always I, I, Dave, I think we need to qualify and be like, that cannot be one of the lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next um, time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now l- last question from for me, Daniel, is if you weren't working in crypto professionally, what would you be doing as your career? And it can't be in finance.
2: Okay. Uh, then or
1: or math right. related.
2: All right, yeah. So I have to go back even further uh, then because- Okay, um,
0: gotta go back. Um,
2: I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much, I've been working in finance the whole time. So since I graduated from college and when I was in college, that's what I was interested in. So I've been doing what I wanted to do since then crypto is just an extension of that that uh, became like, oh, I mean, this thing is awesome. Like, it's going to revolutionize finance. I wanted to get involved in it. Uh, But if I I hadn't chosen the finance career, then um, back then, when I was in my late teens, I was doing martial arts a lot. So uh, I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And um, yeah, probably if... um, I haven't been doing it since I was a kid. Uh, So if I I hadn't gotten the finance route, I'd probably uh, do something like the UFC or something like
3: that.
0: Oh, (laughs) whoa. We got one personal trainer and one UFC fighter. <laughs> oh, it. Daniel's that's actually
3: it. a black belt. So don't mess with him. Future. If he didn't go into finance, he'd be a UFC fighter and he already has a black belt.
1: Ridiculous. No, no he, He's going to make IL tap out for sure. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> oh, that's a great way. IL's line. officially tapped out. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, like, guys, thank you for coming on. This is such a fun, fruitful, uh, I learned podcast. I learned so much from it. This is something I'm definitely gonna have to like rewatch and relisten again. Read up on my alphas, deltas, neutrals, delta neutrals, gammas, and everything. Um, thanks for coming on. Uh, this was truly a treat. thanks for having us on. Thank you, everyone, for watching this episode of Flywheel Pod. We had on the Gamma Swap team with Daniel and Devin D squared. You know, coming in. Yeah, with- my boys the gamma boys the gamma boys with all the hedges um cutting around making sure we're staying safe in a whole world of volatility kit final thoughts on this episode my brain hurts my brain hurts <laughs> <laughs> It really does. It was it was so dense,
1: and it was just like it 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 really gets your creativity kind of running. Once you mm. kind of kind of grok what they're trying to to build, like you see mm. how this would really drastically
0: shift the landscape, you know, and and just yeah. completely change the the way it looks. I think my favorite part of the episode, or one of them, was we were basically doing like live Frax BD on air. It's like, oh, like what if like you have a gamma swap pair for fxs frax integrated into frax swap and people can hedge their il There, like i mean i would expect that integration to happen because you know you they said it was more than possible um and also like a a funny story uh i was talking to a a family friend that actually like is a options broker and i was like telling him about this i was like yeah i actually like interviewed some uh you know these founders of this on-chain options protocol and like i tried to explain it to him in like the first five seconds like uh yeah that that's yeah that's that's really cool dave <laughs> i'm just like oh man if only you could understand <laughs> i'm like i'm curious if like we like show this interview to like traditional option traders and brokers and people like what they would think of this kind of technology being built i, I think they wouldn't believe it <laughs> cuz you wouldn't believe good. it yeah, yeah you wouldn't much believe much. it and if you want to not only believe but get more knowledgeable about defi get more knowledgeable about all the latest edge Cutting developments happening on-chain. You know what to do. Make sure you hit that like button. Leave us a comment below. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at FlywheelPod. Join the conversation or telegram, at FlywheelPod. You can follow me on Twitter, at DeFiDay22. You can follow me at 0X,
1: capital underscore K.
0: And we'll see you next week. Peace.